Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the History Desk. First off, I'd like to apologize for how long of a hiatus the show had to take between episodes. As talked about previously, I'm currently getting my master's degree in history, and the volume of schoolwork these past few weeks left little time for anything else. But I'm back, and I'm ready to get back to our historical discussions. Sean, this one's for you. Thanks for the encouragement to get back at it. When we began our series on the American War of Independence, we discussed that much was going on at the same time between the military and political spheres. We have covered the battles of Lexington and Concord, the Boston Campaign, and the invasion of Quebec by colonial forces. While these military conflicts were going on, the Second Continental Congress was not sitting idly by. Well, maybe in the opinion of John Adams, it was, but he never moved fast enough for his liking anyway. In this episode, we will cover the goings-on of the Congress, which would lead to the Declaration of Independence, touching on both the First and Second Continental Congress. So let's get started and see how the colonies went from wanting their rights restored as Englishmen to wanting independence. As we have previously discussed in an earlier episode, there were already many in the colonies who started to believe Parliament's authority in the colonies were in question following the intolerable acts passed in 1774. Many saw these acts as violations of the British Constitution and a threat to the liberties of all colonists in British America. Because of the First Continental Congress convened in Philadelphia in September of 1774 to respond, this meeting of Congress organized a boycott of almost all British goods and petitioned the king to repeal the acts. This measure was unsuccessful. The boycott was limited success, but the goods people in the colonies required still had to be purchased, and the Congress could not force every person to follow this plan of boycotting British goods. The petition fell on deaf ears in Parliament, with the King and his Prime Minister Lord North, who determined to enforce the supremacy of Parliament on the colonies of British America. Some of these acts were repealed, but not immediately. As fighting broke out in Lexington and Concord in April of 1775, Many or even most colonists still hoped for reconciliation between Great Britain. The Second Continental Congress convened in Pennsylvania's State House in Philadelphia in May of 1775. Some of the delegates in attendance hoped for independence, but none yet advocated declaring it. The tone of many colonists was that Parliament no longer had any power over them, but they still professed their loyalty to King George and hoped he would intercede on their behalf. They would be disappointed in late 1775 after sending the second petition in July, even after they had approved the invasion of Canadian territory to King and Parliament to attempt reconciliation and avoid war. King George issued the Proclamation of Rebellion, and it was read before Parliament on October 26. The proclamation was in direct response to the Battle of Bunker Hill and was issued in August of 1775. It declared that the colonies in a state of open rebellion and directed officials of the empire to use all their powers to withstand and suppress this rebellion. It would also encourage subjects in the empire, including those in Britain, to report any carrying treasonous correspondence with the rebels so they could be punished. It declared the crown would also accept friendly offers of foreign assistance to suppress the rebellion, opening the door for foreign mercenaries to be used in the war. A small pro-American section of Parliament warned the proclamation was driving the colonists towards independence. Thomas Paine's famous pamphlet, Common Sense, was published in January of 1776, 
just as it started to become clear that reconciliation was no longer an option. Payne himself had only recently arrived in the colonies from England, but he argued in favor of colonial independence and advocated for an organized republic as the alternative to monarchy and hereditary rule. Common sense would make a persuasive and impassioned cause for independence, which until now had been given serious consideration by many colonists in colonial America. Paine also connected independence with Protestant beliefs as a means to present a very American political identity, thereby starting a public debate on independence where many had not dared openly discuss. Public support for separation from Great Britain grew increasingly after its publication. Though even with all that had happened, some colonists still held out hope for reconciliation, but further events in the early period of 1776 would strengthen the call for independence. In February of 1776, colonists would learn of the Prohibitory Act, passed by Parliament, which would establish a blockade of American ports and declared all American ships to be enemy vessels. John Adams, who was a strong supporter of independence, believed that the passing of this act by Parliament was effectively declared American independence before Congress was able to do so. Support for independence grew even more when the news that King George had hired German mercenaries to ship to the colonies to be used against his subjects there. Despite a now growing call for independence, Congress actually lacked the clear authority to declare it. Delegates had been elected to Congress by 13 different governments, which included conventions, ad hoc committees, and elected assemblies, and were bound by the instructions which these electing bodies had given them. Regardless of their personal beliefs on the subject, delegates could not vote to declare independence unless their instructions permitted them to do so. Several colonies gave express instructions prohibiting them from taking any steps towards separation from Great Britain, where others gave them instructions that left them scratching their heads as what they wanted them to do. For Congress to be able to declare independence, almost all of the delegations would need to get authorization to vote for it, and one colonial government would need to specifically tell its delegation to propose a declaration of independence in Congress. This would cause a complex political war between April and July of 1776 between the delegates and the colonial governments. While the congressional delegates were waiting for an official instructions from their colonial governments, Many colonists did what they could to help revise those instructions by formally expressing their support from separating from Great Britain. These would effectively become state and local declaration of independence. Approximately 90 of these declarations were made across the colonies and would take many forms. Some were formal written instructions, such as the Halifax Resolves of April, in which North Carolina would become the first colony to officially authorize its delegates to vote for independence. Others were legislative acts that were aimed at ending official British rule in individual colonies, such as Rhode Island, in May, renouncing its allegiance to Great Britain. Many other declarations were at the town and county level, and a few came in the form of jury instructions from local magistrates. Most of these smaller declarations would be overshadowed in the coming months by the larger Declaration of Independence, but they showed the growing support of the separation from British rule by everyday colonists. Some colonists, though, held back from support of the idea of independence. This resistance was centered around the center, central colonies such as New York, New Jersey, Maryland, 
Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Many advocates of independence say Pennsylvania was the key to winning the fight in Congress, but on May 1st, opponents of independence retained control of the assembly there. In response, on May 10th, Congress passed a resolution which was promoted by John Adams and Richard Henry Lee, which called on colonies without a government that spoke for their beliefs to adopt a new government. The resolution passed unanimously and was even supported by the leader of the anti-independence faction, John Dickerson, because he believed it would not apply to his colony. As was the custom of the time, Congress appointed a committee to draft the preamble to explain the purpose of the resolution. John Adams would write the preamble, which would state that because King George had rejected the calls for reconciliation and was hiring foreign mercenaries to be used against the colonies, that it was necessary to remove any kind of authority under the crown. The hope of the preamble was to encourage the overthrow of governments of Pennsylvania and Maryland, which were still under direct monetary rule or proprietary governance, which meant all the land in the colonies belonged to the monarchy. On May 15th, after several days of debate, the preamble was passed, but four of the middle colonies voted against it, and the delegation of Maryland walked out in protest. On the same day Congress passed Adams' preamble, the Virginia Convention set the stage for the vote on colonial independence, which was to come. On May 15th, the convention instructed Virginia's congressional delegation to propose that respectable body to declare the United Colonies free and independent states and absolve all allegiance to or dependence upon the Crown or the Parliament of Great Britain. Following these instructions, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia presented a three-part resolution to Congress on June 7th. The motion was seconded by John Adams, calling for Congress to declare independence, form foreign alliances, and prepare a plan of colonial confederation. The part of the legislation Resolution, which related to declaring independence, read, Resolved that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain, it and ought to be, was totally dissolved. Lee's resolution would meet with resistance in the debate that would ensue. Opponents of the resolution were conceding that reconciliation with the crown was unlikely at this point, argued that declaring independence was premature and that securing foreign aid should take priority. Advocates argued that foreign governments would be hesitant to intervene in what would be seen as an internal British struggle, and so a formal declaration was needed before foreign aid would be possible. As they believed Congress needed to do was declare a fact which was already in existence. Delegates from Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, and Maryland were still not yet authorized to vote on independence, and some threatened to leave Congress if the resolution was adopted. Therefore, Congress, on June 10th, voted to postpone further discussion of Lee's resolution for three weeks. Until then, Congress decided to form a committee to prepare a document announcing and explaining independence in case Lee's resolution was approved when they reconvened. While the political maneuvering was going on to the official declaration of independence, a document had to be written to explain the decision. On June 11th, Congress appointed the Committee of Five, consisting of John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Robert Livingston, and Roger Sherman. 
committee would take no minutes, so how the decision of who would write the document is uncertain. Though both Adams and Jefferson would write conflicting accounts later in life, so far after the writing that many believe they cannot be entirely relied upon, though they are often still cited. What is known is that the general outline of the document was discussed, and Jefferson was chosen to write the first draft. The committee and Jefferson himself thought it should have been Adams to write it. But Adams persuaded them Jefferson was the better man for the job, and he would consult him personally. There are some accounts that Jefferson was nervous about writing it, and it was not until after Adams had given him a few drinks to calm his nerves did he agree to write it. Considering the busy nature of the schedule of Congress, Jefferson most likely had little time to write over the next 17 days, and he most likely wrote the draft quickly. He would then have consulted the other members of the committee. They would make changes, and then he would produce another copy incorporating these changes. The committee presented the copy to Congress on June 28th, and it was titled, A Declaration by the Representatives of the United States of America in General Congress Assembled. Away from the writing committee, support for the Congressional Declaration of Independence was consolidating in the final weeks of June 1776. On June 14th, the Assembly in Connecticut gave instructions to its delegates to propose independence. The following day, New Hampshire and Delaware authorized their delegations to declare independence as well. In Pennsylvania, political struggles came to an end with the dissolution of the Colonial Assembly and a new conference of committees under Thomas McKean authorized Pennsylvania delegates to declare independence on June 18th. The Provincial Congress of New Jersey had been governing the colonies since January, and they resolved on June 15th that Royal Governor William Franklin was an enemy to the liberties of this country and had him arrested. On June 21st, they chose new delegates to Congress and empowered them to join in the Declaration of Independence. Only Maryland and New York had yet to authorize independence towards the end of June. Maryland's delegates had walked out of the adoption of Adams' preamble on May 15th and had sent to the Annapolis Convention for instructions. On May 20th, the convention rejected the preamble and instructed them to remain against independence. Samuel Chase traveled to Maryland and with local resolutions in favor of independence, was able to get the convention to change its mind on June 28th. Only New York's delegates were unable to get revised instructions. When the resolution was brought to the floor on June 8th, the New York Provincial Congress had been told the delegates to wait, but on June 30th, the Provincial Congress evacuated New York as British forces approached and would not reconvene until July 10th. This meant that New York delegates could not be authorized to declare independence or even vote on it until after the decision was made. Congress spent June 29th and 30th methodically editing Jefferson's document, shortening it by a fourth, removing unnecessary wording, and improving the sentence structure. They would remove Jefferson's assertion that King George III had forced slavery onto the Congress, colonies in an attempt to moderate the document and appease the colonies of South Carolina and Georgia who had significant involvement in the slave trade. Later, Jefferson would write that it was not only the southern colonies that wanted the portion removed, but also many of the northern colonies as well. He gave the reason in his autobiography that though they did not have many slaves themselves, they were instrumental in moving them to others. After the revisions were finished, Jefferson would say his draft had been mangled but the declaration which was produced was an inspiring document. Congress tabled the draft 
on Monday, July 1st, and resumed debate on Lee's independence proposal. John Dickerson made a last effort to delay, arguing again that Congress should not declare independence without first securing foreign alliances and finalizing the Articles of Confederation. John Adams once again gave the speech in reply to Dickerson, restating the need for immediate declaration. A vote was taken after a long day of speeches, which each colony casting a single vote as always. The delegation for each colony numbered from two to seven members, and each delegation would vote amongst themselves to determine the colony's vote. Pennsylvania and South Carolina voted against independence, with New York's delegation abstaining, still lacking permission to vote on independence. Delaware cast no vote because its delegation was split between Thomas McKean, who had voted yes, and George Reed, who voted no. The remaining nine delegations voted for independence, which meant the resolution had been approved by the Committee of the Whole, and the next step was for the resolution to be voted upon by Congress itself. Edward Rutliffe of South Carolina was opposed to Lee's resolution, but desirous of unanimity, he moved to have the vote postponed until the following day. On July 2nd, South Carolina reversed its position and voted for independence. In the Pennsylvania delegation, Dickerson and Robert Morris abstained, allowing the delegation to vote 3-2 to two in favor of independence. The tie in the Delaware delegation was broken by the timely arrival of Caesar Rodney, who voted for independence. The New York delegation once again abstained because they were still not authorized to vote on independence, but they were allowed to do so a week later. The resolution on independence was adopted with 12 affirmative votes and one abstention, and the colonies formally served severed political ties with Great Britain. John Adams believed that July 2nd would become a great American holiday. He believed the vote for independence would be commemorated, but he did not foresee the Americans would instead celebrate Independence Day when the announcement of the act was finalized. After the vote and the revisions to the document were completed, the wording of the document was approved on July 4, 1776, and was sent to the printer for publication. There was a distinct change in the wording of the original broadside printing of the document and the engrossed copy. The word unanimous was inserted as a result of a congressional resolution on July 19th. Declaration of Independence became official when the Congress voted on it on July 2nd, and the signatures were not needed to make it official. The handwritten copy of the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4, 1776. There are signatures of 56 delegates on the documents, though the exact date of when each person signed has been subject to debate over the years. After much debate, it has been widely believed that the delegates who were present on July 4th signed it on that day, and those that were not would sign it on August 4th. Approximately 34 delegates were in the Congressional House on July 4th, the only exception being Matthew Norton from North New Hampshire, who was seated in Congress in November and asked for and received the privilege of adding his signature to the rest and signed on November 4, 1776. After Congress approved the final working on July 4th, a handwritten copy was sent a few blocks away to the printing shop owned by John Dunlap. Working through the night, he printed 200 broadsides for distribution. Soon it would be read to audience and reprinted in newspapers throughout the 13 states. 
The first formal public reading of the document took place on July 8th in the yard of Independence Hall by John Nixon. The first newspaper to publish it was the Pennsylvania Evening Post on July 6th, and a German translation was published in Philadelphia by July 9th. John Hancock sent a broadside to General Washington, instructing it to be read to the troops. Washington had the declaration read to his troops in New York City on July 9th, while thousands of British troops sat on ships in the harbor. Washington and Congress both hoped it would inspire the troops and encourage others to join the army. After hearing the reading, crowds in many cities tore down and destroyed signs of statues representing royal authority. In New York City, a large statue of King George on a horse was pulled down, and the lead was used to make musket balls for the coming battle in New York. One of the first readings of the Declaration of Independence by the British is thought to have happened at the Rose and Crown Tavern on Staten Island, New York, in the presence of General Howe. British officials in the colonies sent copies of the Declaration back to Great Britain. It would be published in British newspapers by early, early August, in, would reach Florence and Warsaw by mid-September, and a German, German translation appeared in Switzerland by October. The first copy, which was sent to France, was lost, but another was sent and arrived in November of 1776. Copies of the document would make it around Spanish-American colonies, even though they attempted to ban its circulation. Later in 1776, a group of 547 loyalists, mainly from the New York area, would sign a declaration of dependence, pledging their loyalty to the crown. The copy of the declaration that was signed by Congress is known as the engrossed copy or parchment copy. It was properly engrossed, that is carefully handwritten, by Clerk Timothy Matlock. The face meal made in 1823 has become the basis of most modern reproductions rather than the original because of a poor conversion of the engrossed copy through the 19th century. In 1921, custody of the engrossed copy of the Declaration of Independence transferred from State Department to the Library of Congress, along with the United States Constitution. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, the documents were moved for safekeeping to the United States Bullion Depository at Fort Knox in Kentucky, where they were kept until 1944. In 1952, the engrossed Declaration of Independence was transferred to the National Archives and is now on permanent display at the National Archives in the rotunda of the Charters of Freedom. And we've gotten to that point. The Continental Congress has declared independence. The war has been going on for a year. As you see, there were some, some attempts for reconciliation while we were still making war efforts, hence our invasion to Canada while we were sending documents to England. Both sides of the argument there, trying to independence and reconciliation. But there will be more uh, Continental Congress and, or Congress now effects that will happen during the military part of the Revolutionary War, and we'll go back and forth and we'll discuss those. I would like to say it's great to be back and it's great to be speaking of history again outside of school. Uh, next episode, I'm hoping to get with the we will try to do the New York and New Jersey campaigns with Washington. Uh, the first campaigns, if we can get to it, we're going to end with uh, going get into Valley Forge. We'll see how long it is. I don't want it to be too long. 
And other than that, it is great to be back. It's great to be discussing history with you again. I hope you enjoyed this episode about the Declaration of Independence. We're going to keep going this summer. I don't have any class, so we should be going back to weekly episodes or bi-weekly episodes, depending on what happens. If you would like to support the show, there will be some links down in the show notes. Um, Any donations, any type of support that way will go towards improving the show, better audio equipment, better uh, audio auditing software. Before we go, I'd love to give a shout out to the GI Museum in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. If you're ever driving through or if you just want to, you're in the area or you just want to make a trip and you're close by, it is an amazing place to visit. It is chock full of so much GI history that you may have never known about. Small items, big items, weapons, uniforms, everything's got a story. You will not regret taking a tour of this place. You have to make sure they're open. They're not open every day, but you can set up tours. I will put on the Facebook information and their website information in the show notes. If you need to contact them, you want to get in touch with them, you want to go see it, you will not regret it. You can go there a hundred times and you will still miss things. I've been multiple times and still things I've never seen before. Love it. The people are amazing. You will not regret it. Until next time, though, guys, as always, never quit reading, never quit learning, study your history. Have fun, and I'll see you next time.